Hello and welcome to a sit down in the study where we apply common sense approach to various topics that affect our lives today. I'm your host, the librarian. Now, let's get started. The following podcast episode will not be sponsored and will be part of a two-part episode regarding Antifa. Listener discretion is advised. America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. Abraham Lincoln These are some of the most powerful and lasting words from our 16th president of these United States of America. It instills a sense of somber reality for this country our founding fathers set out to initiate in this place we call the Great Experiment. A reality where we as citizens have a moral and ethical obligation to use the system of governance they so relentlessly toiled over and shed blood for in an effort to create a means for a better tomorrow. Through time, since the birth of this beautiful country, Corruptive elements have always made themselves known outside of our borders, but also we have seen an increase in internal radicalization of certain elements of the populace within our country. These United States of America has always known the struggles of conflict, battles, and wars. The Civil War, for example, an entire conflict thought to be solely over slavery but in the grander theme, was primarily based around a treasonous act of secession from our union. Brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, bled and died for the unity and the desire to live one's life in accordance to what they wished their life and livelihood to be. Today, we stand on yet again the edge of conflict, one where the elements of radicalized spoiled brats terrorize our streets where they are allowed free reign by the various officials and politicians in the effort to seek votes of the masses, in efforts of re-elections, to staining reputations of opposing parties, to the politicization and the victimization of the very individuals with whom have caused an absurd level of property damage, theft, and ultimately murder. The group that I'm referring to is none other than that of a terrorist organization, called Antifa. Antifa started as an anti-fascist political movement in the United States, primarily made of autonomous cells to achieve their objectives through nonviolent and violent direct action rather than through policy reform. This group over the last year has continuously caused terror and destruction in places like Chicago, Detroit, Seattle, and especially Portland. A dedicated reporter, Andy No has been on the ground reporting on the behaviors and terrorist actions of Antifa and the corruption of the BLM movement in Portland, Oregon. Here's Andy No on August 4th testifying before Congress about Antifa, along with Professor Jonathan Turley from George Washington University Law School and Kyle Schidler from the Center of Security Policy. The following recording was made available by PBS NewsHour and her affiliates. Thank you, Chairman Cruz, Ranking Member Hirono, and members of the committee. Antifa is not a myth. I have been reporting on its activities since 2016, 
Its threats to my family and me have proved all too real. As any good journalist knows, the most important stories are often those not being told. This story is not being told. The American public knows little about this violent insurrectionary group and its radical ideology. I made Antifa my beat, and that makes me a target. Its followers regard my reporting as a threat to their mission. So they use violence and intimidation to try to frighten me into silence. First, they tried to discredit me, falsely branding me as a white supremacist. I happen to be gay and the son of Vietnamese refugees, so that was surprising. Next, they threatened to kill me and hurt my family. They almost succeeded last year when they surrounded me in the middle of downtown Portland. I was beaten so badly that I was hospitalized for a subarachnoid hemorrhage. I still suffer from the, the effects of that injury. To this day, no one has been arrested. I'm apprehensive about speaking to Congress today, given that I'm a target. But I'm more afraid of the consequences of remaining silent. Unless we take action, what is happening in Portland today will soon be happening in cities across the country. What we've witnessed for more than two months in Portland are almost daily violent protests and riots led by Antifa. Even when they aren't starting fires, using explosives, and trying to maim officers, they leave threatening messages, such as decapitated pig heads outside the courthouse. Even after federal agencies agreed to pull back the visible presence starting July 30th, Antifa militants have attacked the Portland police building in a residential neighborhood on multiple occasions. Unfortunately, too many in the media have chosen to ignore or downplay this extremism masquerading as racial justice. In Portland, the youth, in Portland, the violence has been organized and led by the local chapter of the Youth Liberation Front, a shadowy anti-foe organization with secret membership. The Youth Liberation Front has cells across the US organized on social media sites like Twitter. They openly advocate for violent uprisings in Portland and elsewhere. To give one example, on July 25th, they called for national calls to action. Their followers obliged. We witnessed weekend street violence in Seattle, Oakland, Austin, Atlanta, Richmond, among other cities. There are multiple shootings, dozens of officer injuries, and even a homicide. I have worked undercover for months in Portland and other cities, and I've seen with my own eyes how hundreds of so-called protesters work together to carry out acts of organized criminality against government and civilians. Both violent and nonviolent participants play a role. For example, Antifa, by their own admission, depend on mass numbers of peaceful protesters to act as human shields. Those privy to the organizational workings are divided into units one to monitor police movement, one for street medics, one for vandals and arsonists, and so on. They coordinate on encrypted chat applications like Signal because they are extremely difficult for law enforcement to monitor. Antifa has mastered the art of making its violence appear innocuous. For example, projectiles that look like water balloons can be filled with chemicals. Small slingshots can be used to project rocks, glass, and ball bearings into police lines. Umbrella tips can be fastened with discrete pocket knives. Powerful handheld lasers can cause serious damage to the eyes.
Antifa and its allies have made rioting an art form in Portland. They have access to a rich stream of cash flowing from platforms like GoFundMe, Venmo, and Cash App. Any conspirator arrested in Portland is instantly bailed out and ready for the next night of violent protest. I come to you today with a message for senators of both parties. Antifa's goal is not only to abolish the criminal justice system, it is to bring down the republic itself. Burn it down, they say. But don't take my word for it. Go read their literature, listen to their chants, and look at their graffiti messages. Portland is a canary in the coal mine for America. Look to my city to see what happens when a group like Antifa is left unchecked. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. No. Professor Turley. Thank you, Chairman Cruz. Ranking Member Hirano. It's an honor to appear before you today to discuss the growing threat of free speech in the United States from an array of extremist groups. The protests in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd have served to focus attention on the, trans the uh, transcendent issue of racial discrimination. I think we all agree we cannot let this moment pass for a national dialogue on racial justice. That dialogue, however, is increasingly turning into a diatribe on our campuses, on our streets, even in our media. We're losing the opportunity to reach consensus because of rising violence and intolerance for opposing views. If we are to come together as a nation, we have to be able to speak to one another freely and without fear. I welcome this hearing because I fear that we are at a crossroads in this country on free speech. We're witnessing unprecedented erosion of this defining right in our democracy. The protests around this country involve a wide array of groups on the political spectrum from both the far right and the far left. I discussed that in my written testimony. However, Antifa is arguably the most successful anti-speech movement in, of this generation, using physical threats and intimidation to silence those with dissenting views. It is all part of achieving what Antifa calls no platforming, or denying people with opposing views the ability to be heard. Recently, the alleged Antifa ringleader who led efforts to topple statues in Washington, D.C., proclaimed the movement is, is winning. He's right. They are winning. They're winning because universities are now effectively blocking conservative and opposing speakers. They're winning because the media and politicians downplay such violence. They're winning because local authorities are ordering police to stand down or prosecutors to drop charges. And they're winning because free speech is being treated as a destabilizing or threatening factor in our schools and society. In my written testimony, I explore ways for Congress to reinforce free speech through a mix of measures from federal enforcement to federal funding. It is by no means an easy task because government enforcement itself can chill free speech. However, threats against free speech have now reached a critical mass in our schools and on our streets. We can either act or we can remain passive pedestrians to what inevitably comes next. House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler recently said that accounts of Antifa violence in places like Portland are a myth. Antifa is no myth. The decentralized organization and fluid communications used by Antifa groups give superficial support to such denials. Antifa trains members to remain anonymous. 
It's all here in the Antifa handbook, which explains the strategy of anonymity by mass to allow the offensive side of block tactics to flourish. Antifa was expressly founded as a movement at war with free speech, defining the right itself as a tool of oppression. That is also clearly stated in this handbook. The signature of the group is a self-righteous, rage-fueled violence that parallels fascistic groups that they claim to oppose. Tellingly, the Antifa handbook begins with the quote, fascism is not to be debated, it is to be destroyed. And fascism is a term that morphs into a wide variety of targets deemed unacceptable by Antifa, from capitalism to patriarchy to police. Antifa bears strong resemblance to groups that emerged in earlier periods of attacks on free speech, like the Red Scare. Simply replacing anti-communism with anti-fascism does not materially change the same anti-free speech purpose of these movements. The greatest threat to free speech in this country remains the original threat, silence. Silence kills free speech. It is the silence of professors who watch as their colleagues are threatened, harassed, or fired for voicing dissenting views. It's the silence of students who watch their fellow students as they are attacked for voicing their own beliefs. It is the silence of reporters who watch as their colleagues are fired or forced to retire for writing opposing views. Most importantly, it is the silence of politicians who refuse to protect the exercise of free speech. Let me end by saying that during the Red Scare, Attorney General Charles Gregory said this about the centers. May God have mercy on them, for they need not to expect none from an outraged people in an avenging government. The avenging elements in our society are now found in groups like Antifa, and a growing number of writers, academics, and others who are embracing orthodoxy over diversity of thought. Antifa and related groups thrive through intimidation, and they prevail through inaction. All that is required for free speech to die in America is for America to be silent. Thank you very much for allowing me to speak today. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Schindler, uh, your testimony now. Uh, it's a great honor to testify today before the Senate Judiciary Committee Subcommittee on the Constitution. The federal government has a fundamental responsibility to protect the civil rights of all of its citizens, and paramount among these rights are freedom of speech and assembly. I hope my testimony today will correct some fundamental misunderstandings regarding the nature of the movement known as Antifa, which seeks to deprive Americans of these rights. Antifa is an anarcho-communist movement whose goal is to use physical violence and intimidation to terrorize American citizens, to disengage them from the political process. While they do this under the cover of anti-fascism, the reality is that Antifa defines the entire American political system, regardless of party affiliation, as fascism. Antifa developed out of the communist urban guerrilla and terrorist movements of the late 1960s and early 1970s, such as the Weather Underground and Germany's Red Army Faction. As a result, it possesses operational experience developed over more than half a century of radical left-wing organizing and political violence. Law enforcement has largely failed to understand the nature of this threat. Seeking a rigidly hierarchical organization, some analysts have even concluded, against all evidence, that Antifa does not exist in any meaningful sense. The reality is that Antifa demonstrates an elaborate but non-hierarchical structure. The most basic structure of Antifa is the affinity group, which is described by the pro-Antifa website CrimeThink as the essential building block of anarchist organization. 
It's a small cell of individuals who are known to one another who agree to come together to participate in direct actions. Those include sabotage, vandalism, and premeditated assault. Affinity groups then come together to form clusters, and a large cluster may organize actions using what are called spokes councils. Antifa chapters form at the city level and join regional networks such as Torch Antifa, the largest Antifa network in the United States, as well as national and international networks. Antifa websites describe in detail how to organize affinity groups and chapters, how to vet potential members, prevent infiltration, and securely communicate. Such websites play a key role in spreading propaganda, distributing new tactics, techniques, and procedures, and raising calls to action. One example, the Antifa website It's Going Down distributes a Forming an Antifa Group manual. Particularly note noteworthy, the manual describes Antifa chapters as incurring obligations to support regional and national Antifa networks, who then in turn make greater resources available to chapters. This support extends internationally, with many American Antifa groups linked to the International Antifa Defense Fund, which has provided financial support to Antifa in 22 different countries. While overall dollar amounts are low, the International Antifa Defense Fund does represent clear evidence of organizational activity across national borders. Antifa relies heavily on support organizations such as the Democratic Socialists of America, the International Workers of the World, Refuse Fascism, and the National Lawyers Guild, and in coordination with other protest organizations. It is not uncommon for Antifa to require outside groups to sign what are essentially memorandums of understanding to ensure that allies agree not to interfere with criminal activity in exchange for protection. In terms of financing, remember that terrorism is a low-cost form of warfare. The entire 9-11 plot costs less than half a million dollars, and even by Al-Qaeda standards, Antifa's low-intensity violence is extremely cost-efficient. They use a variety of methods to fundraise, including crowdfunding technology. The International Antifa Defense Fund has so far raised more than $53,000 via the crowdfunding website Fundraiser. While some of these crowdfunding companies are officially content-neutral, Others are explicitly ideological and only facilitate Antifa and similar projects. Antifa chapters also raise funds through event admission fees, cash donations, and by selling merchandise at anarchist book fairs. And many of their needs are provided free of charge by their allied organizations. These provide armed and unarmed training for Antifa members at no or low cost, and support organizations cover most major expenses, such as transportation, bail, and lawyers' fees. Other organizations, such as RiseUp.net, provide chapters with free access to secure servers, communication tools, and computer applications. Far from being non-existent, Antifa possesses as elaborate a structure as any criminal conspiracy or terror group. Claiming that Antifa is too disorganized to understand should not be an acceptable excuse for law enforcement, federal, state, or local, to tolerate Antifa's private street war to overthrow the Constitution. Like their predecessors in the Weather Underground and Red Army faction, Antifa will continue to escalate its behavior unless it is checked. There will be more attacks, and rioting techniques will continue to grow in capability and in sophistication. Their cadres will grow, and there will be more autonomous zones for increased periods of time. And more Americans of all political persuasions will be terrorized. Thank you. Thank you to each of the witnesses for your testimony. Uh, Mr. No, let me start with you. Um, is Antifa violent? And what specific acts of violence have you personally witnessed? Yes, they're violent. And I'll start with the what I witnessed was what happened to me on the 29th of June, 2019. 
that was a ostensibly anti-racist protest that was organized in downtown Portland. It involved Rose City Antifa, which is an organization. Um, it involved the local chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. And I came there with my GoPro and my iPhone to record, and I was beaten by a mob, people who use uh, brass knuckles that were hidden under gloves, uh, punching me repeatedly in, in the, the front, the top, and the back of my head. And then when I thought they were done, uh, that was just the half of it. Next came all those milkshakes and other unknown liquids that were hurled at my face. Uh, and I know milkshakes can sound kind of um, cute as a protest, but really when they're thrown at force in your face, it's a viscous liquid. You can't see where to go. Uh, so that was my first one of my first experiences with their violence directly since then. Um, I've seen numerous times in Portland. And, and is it right that you uh, received significant injuries from that? Yes, a brain bleed from that. Please continue, I'm sorry. Oh, and I wasn't the only victim that day. There were seven other people who were hospitalized. There was only one conviction related to another person who was assaulted, beaten on the head with a brick and other and a baton and other weapons. Um, so it, Portland is the epicenter. It's been going on since 2016, really in response to the surprise election win of Trump. And uh, what I see happening there is the local politicians have been sort of nurturing um, and allowing this extremism to go on. And that's why it's in the predicament that it's in now, where there's over two months of violent protests. And, I see all these headlines talking about how things are peaceful now because the federal authorities are uh, less visible. That's inaccurate. That's a falsehood. Uh, yesterday and the day before, uh, you know where the attacks happen? Instead of the federal court downtown, uh, Antifa black bloc militants uh, tried a new tactic. They attacked the Southeast Precinct in Southeast Portland. So um, this problem is not going away. It's continuing. and. Um, hopefully, my testimony here to Congress shows that I, I don't come with a partisan message. They're, if you read their literature, they're very clear in calling for the abolishment of the U.S. Uh, Professor Turley, you, you testify that Antifa is profoundly anti-speech and, and, and violent. Can, can you elaborate on that, please? Uh, yes, I, if, you, if you go through the Antifa handbook and look at their literature, it's quite express, you know, the, um, as stated in the handbook, they reject the premise of what they call a classical liberal view of free speech. Specifically, they object to uh, statements like, uh, I may disagree with what you have to say, but I would give my life to defend it. They reject that. They believe that free speech uh, itself is a tool of oppression. And that has been the message on campuses. What I thought was disturbing about these statements that Antifa is a myth um, is that many of us on campus have been dealing with Antifa for years. And Antifa is winning. I mean, there, there is a tremendous movement, an anti-free speech movement in the United States. My testimony doesn't really go to these protests. I think that both the far right and far left are doing bad things in these protests. Uh, Antifa members have been arrested in these protests. Uh, Antifa groups like Rose City Antifa um, have been leading some of these efforts. But my greater concern, and the one that I would hope that members would look at, is 
this anti-free speech movement that Antifa is part of. I've been teaching for 30 years. I have never seen the level of fear and intimidation on campuses that we see today. Faculty are afraid to, to speak out about issues. We can't have a dialogue about the important issues occurring today because there's a fear that you might be accused of being reactionary or racist. We've had a law professors who've been physically attacked have, have required police protection. That's the environment that we're developing. And for people that think that Antifa and groups like it can be allies, they don't know Antifa. And those of us who've been teaching on campuses can tell you about these groups. And the alarm that I have is because I'm watching my profession, the teaching profession, die with free speech. Administrators are not protecting academic freedom. Why should they protect free speech? We're seeing many of these speakers are being prevented from speaking on campus under various theories. And the message is clear to faculty, it's clear to students. There's a new orthodoxy that you should not confront and you certainly shouldn't disagree with. And I go through those details in my testimony. So Professor Turley, I very much agree with you that we ought to be united in condemning violence from whatever ideological origin it comes from, whether right wing, left wing, or no wing at all. If you're committing violence against fellow Americans, that ought to be condemned, you ought to be arrested, you ought to be prosecuted, you ought to go to jail. Um, I do think it is striking that in the entire course of this hearing, uh, seven Democratic senators spoke in this hearing. Not a single Democratic senator condemned Antifa. Not a one of them condemned Antifa's violence and terrorism. Do you think it is harmful that the sitting attorney general of Minnesota, a Democrat, uh, posed with the book you just held up in your testimony, the Antifa Handbook, uh, gleefully modeling it, do you think it is helpful for elected Democrats to be holding out a violent anti-speech organization like Antifa and, and acting essentially as apologists for it? Is that, is that good for our democracy? You know, I criticized Mr. Ellison for that tweet. Uh, there are some Democratic politicians that uh, have not only failed to denounce Antifa, but have actually, in that case, seemed to give it a shout out. In that case, Mr. Ellison said that they would put the, the fear in the heart of Donald Trump. But what he doesn't see is that Antifa's putting the fear in the hearts of uh, many people other than Donald Trump. If you go to campuses today, you will find more advocates for limiting speech than protecting it. They're winning. And when you see pictures like Mr. Ellison's picture with Antifa, it, it's very disturbing because Antifa's not coming after him. They're not even coming after Democrats. They're coming after Republicans, conservatives, and those of us in the free speech community. They're coming after us. But don't think we'll be the last ones. That's not how this works. Thank you, Professor Turley. Senator Hirono. I don't see how anyone can sit here with a straight face and say that uh, Democrats, as though denouncing violent extremists of every stripe is uh, somehow the purview of Republicans only. I don't see how anybody can sit here and accuse uh, a, a group of that because I, I would say, Mr. Chairman, that we all, we all should be denouncing extremists of every stripe. 
And in my view, particularly from what I heard today, that uh, there is more harm being done by white uh, supremacists against, uh, and not necessarily against government, but against people who are uh, who represent minority groups. And Mr. Chairman, you obviously can invite whoever you want to this hearing, but I would like to record my concern regarding the presence of the Center for Security Policy at this hearing. The Center for Security Policy, CSP, is an organization that has been spreading anti-Muslim conspiracy theories. For example, CSP's founder, Frank Gaffrey, who has repeatedly demonized Muslims, has falsely claimed, quote, there is mounting evidence that the president, he's talking about President Obama, not only identifies with Muslims, but actually may still be one himself, end quote. He has spread a conspiracy theory that Muslim Brotherhood has infiltrated the American political sphere, which got him actually banned in 2011 from the annual Conservative Political Action Conference. And CSP has been criticized by Republicans and Democrats alike, and organizations that monitor extremist groups, including the Anti-Defamation League, um, has criticized CSP. And the Southern Poverty Law Center has designated CSP as a hate group. So I would like to register my concern that uh, they are represented here. As we wrap up this episode, the lingering question still remains as to the overall end goal or goals of Antifa. What is the desired outcome of what they wish to achieve? And what do they suggest to replace the current system with? I'm the librarian and this was a sit down in the study. Until next time, I bid you a great week. Seems some things will never change. Recognize it all. The wooden bench Was the best.